revolution 2,000 years in the making. That is ultimately what our desire is for us as we strive to be a compelling church. That's been our theme for this last month together, for us to be a community of believers that is compelling because the world needs to hear the message of Christ. So some of you probably showed up here this morning expecting to hear Tim preach, thinking maybe he'd be up here in a sling with his arm taped to his side or something. And to be quite frank, I kind of expected that too. I thought nothing's going to keep him down, but uh, he, he is still recovering, uh, so I'm preaching for him this week. Pastor T- uh, Ron will be preaching for him next week. Uh, and then the following week, Tim was scheduled for vacation uh, already, so the, this will give him a few weeks to heal up completely from his surgery. Uh, and in the grand scheme of things, it gives me an opportunity to hopefully try to wrap up and bring to a conclusion uh, and to a sum- summation uh, this thought of what is a compelling community uh, since it was kind of conceived uh, in my, uh, well, I don't want to say my mind, but in, in, <laughs> we know that that's really not where it comes from. So, And if that is where it comes from, we really shouldn't pay any attention to it. So, uh, so, but, but, but it, it, in the grand scheme of things, I'm thankful that the Lord has provided me with this opportunity this morning. You know, because when I was preparing for my last message, I had a lot of notes that were left, and I'm like, man, there's just so much I want to say and challenge myself with and hopefully all of us uh, with. And, and so uh, this morning, I want us to think about the fact that we say these things all the time, but I want us to remember that, that the Christian life Becoming a Christian and being a Christian is not an event. It's a process. And I think sometimes we forget it. We, you know, we always say, oh, well, you know, when did you come to know Christ? And, and we, we point out to these events in our life which are very important. But then sometimes we think that that's, okay, now that's all done. They're a Christian. They're good. Or, or we see maturity uh, in Christ as, as a point that we need to reach and, and a place, a destination that we need to uh, reach. And, and we say, oh, well, you know what? They're a mature Christian. So we somehow have this idea that they've arrived. But in Scripture, we know that that isn't at all how we're described. But I think too many people fall into that trap. We know that the Christian life is a journey. We know that it's a walk with Christ. It begins with our faith and putting our trust in Christ. And actually, it never ends. That's the beauty of our life in Christ, is that our growth in him and our relationship with him goes on for eternity. And someday, I will take my last breath on this earth if Christ doesn't return before then. But that last breath that I have on earth will not be the end of my relationship with Christ. It'll just be the beginning of my relationship with him that exceeds on into eternity. And so God has long-range plans for you and I as believers in Christ. He has plans for us through all of eternity to spend worshiping, honoring, and exalting his name. So we can't possibly think of this life or any one single event in this life as the end all to our growth in Christ. And I think that that is one of the most compelling parts about community in Christ is that we are constantly in a state of growth. And because of repentance and forgiveness and and grace and God's mercy, even even 
Mistakes and sin that we commit are not the end of everything. They're simply an opportunity for us to continue to display God's grace in our lives. And and so we need to understand, though, that for all of this to happen, we need to be in that continual state of growth, that continual state of striving to grow in our relationship with Christ. And so while growth is one of the most important factors of a compelling community, we also have to be careful that we don't see it as somehow something as trivial as self-help. As you and I coming together with a bunch of other good people, and I'm telling you some good things, and you're sharing some good things with me, and you help me, and I help you, and sometimes we get tricked into that thinking. You know, we, we say to our friends, oh, come to church, and, and you can become a better parent, or come to this Bible study, and it will help you with your addiction, or, or it, it will help you with your anger issues, or it will help you with your sin problem, etc., etc., etc. And while those things are true, that is not the primary reason for us gathering together. The primary reason for us to gather together is to grow in, the, in our relationship with Christ, and to exalt, and to honor, and to worship Him more effectively and more perfectly, as we will for eternity with him. And so if that's not the goal of my relationship with Christ is to you know, get self-help, and then that can't be the purpose of a compelling church. We constantly need to be growing, but growing in relationship with Christ. You see, a lot of times people get confused about what the story of the Bible is. They, they ask questions and say, okay, so, you know, what is the, the story about, of the Bible? And they say things like, oh, well, Christ came to save us. And then it makes us one of the main features and figures and characters in Scripture. But ultimately, the Bible is about God's redemptive plan, about him redeeming for himself the glory that he deserves because he created us in his image to be worshiping him forever. And he placed us in the Garden of Eden. And and we, mankind, fell. We became imperfect because we chose to sin and and to not glorify God. And sin entered the the world. And from that point on, the world has been marred by sin. And because God is a perfect God, he couldn't have fellowship with us because he can't even look on sin. And so sin had to be dealt with. And that's why we have Christ as our Savior. And so that we can have that restored relationship with him. But it's not about us. It's about him. And when we have a relationship with him, which we'll look at a little bit later, that means that we can now have a beginning to that forever, eternity relationship with him. And so we want to see how how Christ's relationship with us affects all of these things and causes us to continue to grow. And in Titus chapter 2, we're going to see how all of these things come together. Paul was writing to his disciple Timothy, and he's giving him instructions on how to lead and to shepherd this fledgling group of believers. And, And he reminds them that a church needs to be caught up in this process of growth. It's so much more than just a group of men and women who come together because they have faith 
in Christ. It's a community that's in a growing relationship with him. And they have to live out that faith with one another. And that will make them a compelling community to the world around them. So open your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to read along, uh, there's Bibles in the chair racks uh, in front of you next to the hymnals. You'll find Titus 2 on page 706. And we're going to be focusing mostly on verses 11 through 15, uh, but we're going to read the whole chapter uh, together for context. God's word says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to, to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we study this passage of scripture together, we pray that you would help us to learn more about you. And Father, as we do that, that we would learn more about how you would want us to respond as your children. Father, may your word speak to our hearts. May we apply it correctly. And may you be pleased with our study time here together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we see right off the bat in this passage of Scripture that sound doctrine matters. Paul commands Timothy right off the bat to teach sound doctrine. In chapter 1, Paul had just finished telling Timothy to preach the word, train good leaders, and fight against false teachers. And on the heels of that, he tells him very emphatically, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So he begins by reminding Timothy, as far as you are concerned, you must teach what is right. You must teach what the scriptures tell us to teach. And you know, one of the things that's very helpful about the way Paul writes it's helpful for us, but sometimes in real life it, it might be um, uh, hard to deal with. How many of you are list makers out here? Whether it's, okay, I've got a to-do list or a honey-do list or a, or a grocery list, or maybe you enjoy making lists of lists. Um, Paul is a list maker. We know that. We see that all the time in his writing. Um, and, and, and it's helpful for us as readers, but sometimes in real life, those lists can be overwhelming if you're not a list 
person. So, but, what, but what we have here in verses 2 through 10, Paul gives us kind of a laundry list of sorts for Timothy. It's a little bit of a honey-do list for his disciple as he's leading the church. And there's some great insight in that in those verses, in verses 2 through 10. But we're not really going to focus on those this morning. We're not going to focus on all of the specifics of that list. Instead, I want us to to just kind of take a snapshot of those things. Here are some things that we see in there. Be sober-minded. Teach what is good. Be pure. Be kind. Be a model of good works. Show integrity. Don't be argumentative. There's a lot of great stuff in there. You could write sermons on any one of those character qualities and those commands that Paul tells Timothy to teach. There's a lot that we could learn about being a compelling church, a compelling community in those simple verses. In fact, I used verse 7 a few weeks ago when I, when I preached because it's a great parallel to our theme verse that we should live such lives among the, those who don't know Christ that they would have nothing bad to say about us. It's impossible for them to say negative things about us uh, as Christians because we're living godly lives around them. But what I really want us to think about, because our purpose isn't to look at all of those verses specifically, instead I want to summarize those verses this way. Everyone needs sound doctrine. As, As Paul Starts by telling Timothy, teach sound doctrine. He says, teach it to older men, teach it to younger men. Teach it to older women, teach it to younger women. If there's Christian slaves among you, those who are, have master, earthly masters, they need to know sound doctrine too. And here are some very specific things that you can teach your people in the context that they need to know and to understand as a follower of Christ. Paul is is laying out for Timothy that sound doctrine applies to each and every one of us. And a compelling community must be established on sound doctrine. Paul is telling Timothy, if you're going to teach them, you must teach them what is right. And so we as a compelling community must strive for and desire to have sound doctrine. We must always want pastors and teachers and Awana leaders and Sunday school leaders and and small group leaders and, and Bible study leaders and discipleship partners and mentors. We must always desire those kinds of people that desire to teach us sound doctrine because that is what will make us a compelling community. We want to have visitors to come to our community And we want them to go, holy cow, that was a tough sermon to hear. And yet all of the people there, they were like eating it up. Man, somebody says hard things like that to me and I, man, I shy away from it. But these people, they want to please God. And so that, that, that Sunday school, that lesson, that was tough stuff. But man, they want it. They were desiring it. It was good sound theology, but... They desired it. That's the kind of people we want to be. And those are the kind of leaders we should desire to have. That will set us apart from what the world has to offer. But we'll see more of that as we get to verses 11 through 15, which are really where we're going to camp out and spend most of our time together this morning. You see, Paul gives Timothy in verses 11... uh, Through 15, after he had already told him, teach sound doctrine, 
He comes in with the reason to teach sound doctrine in verse 11. He says, Timothy, teach sound doctrine because I want all people to be saved. There we go. Did I do that or did you, Dan? Oh, good. It's working. Technology. Uh, God wants all people to be saved. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You know, in... in in our Wednesday nights, in our Sunday mornings with the teens, we're, we're studying how to study the Bible, and we're giving them different tools and, and those kinds of things. And, and I've realized through talking with people that sometimes we just study the Bible without any rhyme or reason. We, we've never taken the time to learn how to do it well. And last week we were talking about linking words, and, and, and linking words are really important. This four that we see in this passage of Scripture it tells us that, that it's the reason, it's the because in this passage of Scripture. All of those lists that, that, that Paul gave to Timothy, it wasn't just about what to teach or who to teach. It's also the why, why we should teach. This verse right here gives us the why we should teach those things. Teach all of those things, Timothy, for because the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all people. You see, it's not an exhaustive list that he's giving to Timothy, but it's representative of everyone. And, and, and he says the reason that you need to teach these things is because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You know, many of us are familiar with 2 Peter 3.9, which tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We know that God desires all men to come back to that relationship with him. That relationship that he created us for in the Garden of Eden to worship and exalt and honor his name. But sin was the barrier for that. But he wants all men to come back to him. The majestic God of the universe who created us in his image desires us to still have that relationship with him. That is why the grace of God appeared. That is why in verse 11 it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You see, it's the grace of God because he sent Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours, that we could never accomplish on our own. We could never pay the debt of our sin. We could never become pure again. We could never become righteous in God's eyes. But God sent his son Christ to die on the cross for us. That is the grace of God. And God's grace toward us is completely based on his love and our total inability to do anything that can please him that would cause us to deserve his salvation or to help us to earn his salvation. It's all God's grace. But we do have to be careful because God's desire to bring salvation for all doesn't mean that all are saved. It simply means that God is offering his grace through Christ on the cross to all people. So don't be, don't confuse 
this idea of, of God's desire for all to be saved with, the, with universalism, which says all people are saved. And also, that means that we need to understand that the grace of God has appeared so that men can be saved, but that's not where our passage of Scripture ends. So many times as Christians, we say, okay, they're saved, that's good. And we, we, we stop there. Just being part of a compelling community, just being part of, of, of the, what we're doing here doesn't mean that we have the salvation that he has offered. Not everybody is automatically in. It takes faith in Christ to receive that salvation. And many of us know that here this morning. But sometimes I think we... We, we minimize the fact that salvation comes to completely change our lives. I loved the song that Trish sang this morning. Uh, it literally had me moved to tears as she was singing it because it's what I wanted to talk about at this point in our, our passage of Scripture is that the salvation of God just did not come to bring us eternal life it, it caused, it, it, the salvation of God came to completely change everything about us. It completely changes everything. Our chains are gone. We, we go from darkness to light. We, we, we go from uh, scorned to being a child, child of God. And, and if I'd have had a pen, I'd have written down so many of the things that her song, song mentioned this morning. But that is why the salvation of God has come. And we, be, we become completely different than we were before. And it's not just something we check off of our list and say, okay, now I go to church, I'm part of a compelling community, and I've done the trust Jesus thing. There's so much more to God's salvation than simply that, because that is not where the passage of Scripture ends. The grace of God is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to understand fully what that means, and we would be glad to explain that to you because it is a beautiful thing. But your salvation isn't the end. It's just the beginning of your relationship with the Lord because God's grace is not only for those who need salvation. God's grace is also necessary for our growth. We forget that. We forget that God's grace is much more than simply about our salvation. God's grace is necessary to train us how to live in a world that opposes him. You and I live every day of our lives in a world that is in constant opposition to the things that we believe if we're a child of God. We know that. We see that. But sometimes I think we forget that. Look with me at verse 12. It says, the grace of God has appeared, yes, for the salvation of all, but also training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I'm telling you this morning, we need God's grace every day. If you are a believer in Christ and you think you can get through a day of your life, a minute of your life without the grace of God in your life, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. We need his grace every day, not just for salvation, but so that we can live for him. And what exactly does that mean? Our, our text tells us, first thing it tells us is that God's grace trains us in holiness. You see, before we get saved, we live for ourselves. 
We live for our own ungodly passions, which are talked about in this passage of Scripture. We didn't live for God's desire in our lives. We live for our own desires in our lives. And God says, that's not what I want for you. I want you to live for my desires. I want you to live in godliness, not in worldliness. I want you to live for a passion for me, not a passion for the world. Because he comes and he says, I'm going to change everything about you. I'm even going to change the desires of your heart. Because if you're a child of God, he wants you to walk in holiness, not to earn your salvation, but as evidence of your salvation. To demonstrate that you are part of his compelling community in this world. And so God's grace teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not something we can do on our own. We cannot Fight the temptation, the sin that is indwelling in us without the grace of God in our lives. If we could do it on our own, we would have no need for a Savior. But that's why we need Christ, because we can't do it on our own. We can't live holy enough lives to please God. And in fact, if we're trying to do it on our own, we're probably not born again. You see, the old self that we had is all about worldly passions. And in, and in fact, that word renounce that Paul uses there means that there's kind of, we have some right to this. We have a right to these worldly passions because we live in this world. So humanly speaking, we could say, oh, you know what, this is what everybody's doing and that's okay because in our sin and in our flesh, that would be completely justifiable. But God's saying, Timothy, teach sound doctrine. Tell your people they're no longer that. They are now this. They must renounce that and turn to this. They must renounce ungodliness and turn to godliness. Renounce those worldly ways and turn to my ways. So, so after we have been saved... The grace of God is there to teach us to renounce these things. That's how we continue to grow in our relationship with Christ. We grow in godliness. So in one sense, we live in this world and we have those rights, but we have to reject those because our citizenship is now in heaven and our focus is now on glorifying and honoring and praising God forever. So God wants us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And God calls his people to be the exact opposite of the world. And that will help us to be a compelling community because we'll be stark in stark contrast, in marked difference to the world around us. But God's grace doesn't only train us in holiness. Our text tells us that God's grace also trains us to wait on him. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a longing in these words. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a Christian, do you long for Christ? Do you long for him to come back? We need to have a longing for him, not just so we can escape the hurts and the pains of this world. This, this isn't a longing that's saying, oh Lord, this world is so terrible, I just want to be gone and out of it. That's not really that, the longing that we're talking about here. And it's, and it's not a longing at like a worry, like, oh, you know, this world is so terrible and I just can't wait to, to be gone for it. 
This is, this is a longing that, that means to be waiting with a readiness and an anticipation. The waiting that we, he, we see in this context is an active waiting. It's like a wife and children who are, are waiting for their husband and their father to, to come home after being gone for a long time. And, and they're doing preparation and they're trying to make everything ready because when, when he comes, they want things to be just right for him. And so they're preparing for his arrival home. That's the waiting that is in this context. That's the longing that we see here. They so desire their, their husband, their father to come home that, that everything that they're doing is caught up in the fact that he's going to be coming and that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have a longing for the return of his son if we are his children. He wants us to be living our lives in, in that kind of a waiting. But God's grace didn't just bring salvation so we can enjoy him forever. And he didn't just bring his grace so that we could wait expectantly for him we have to live a life of holiness right now in this present age. He says you have to live these things and do these things and wait for these things in this present age. And his grace also then trains us to not do those things, but to do them with zeal. God's grace teaches us to live with a zeal to do what is good and right. Picking up in verse 14, we see that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The picture is that God plucked us out of the lawlessness of this world so that by his grace we were plucked out and by his grace we could now live as godly people in this lawless world. Just like our salvation, without God's grace, it would be impossible for us to do these things. So God's grace equips us to accomplish the task that he has given us. We can't be a compelling church. We can't be a compelling community. You can't be a compelling person without the grace of God evidenced in your life. We see this same concept and picture given to the Corinthian church. They needed to hear it just as much as we need to hear it. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 8, we read, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, you were taught, you were trained, you were brought up in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. He's equipping them. He's giving them gifts. Why is he giving them the gifts? So that they will honor him and glorify him. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Corinthian church, as you wait, I'm giving you speech and knowledge and all these gifts so that you can wait upon his glorious returning. Well, they didn't need any of those gifts if all they were supposed to do is just sit and stew and grow. They're supposed to tell others about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Our final point this morning is that as a, as a compelling community, the church must press on and grow. Paul ends with Timothy where he began. Teach sound Doctrine. Verse 15 says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. 
there can be a great temptation for us to think, man, it is so boring to learn sound doctrine. Oh, it is just not necessary. Can't we have something practical that applies to our lives? Can't we have something with just a little bit more pop and fizzle? Something that can just appeal to me a little bit more? But Paul ends where he began, saying, teach sound doctrine. And we all need to be reminded of that in our lives. We all need to pay attention to these words. Interestingly, that last phrase, let no one disregard you, can be translated as let no one despise you. Let no one ignore you. It could be translated, make them pay attention to this. Because it is so important. You know, so often we get caught up listening to a sermon and thinking, man, I just hope so-and-so is listening. Man, if only my wife is listening, man, she really needs to hear this message. The reality is, is that every single one of us as a child of God need to be reminded of the grace of God because it's the grace of God that brought us salvation. But it's also the grace of God that equips us for holiness. It's also the grace of God that, that, that allows us to live for him. It's also the grace of God that causes us to wait longingly for his return And it is the grace of God that will sustain us through any of these things in life. Because this present age is filled with temptation and trial. And there is sin all around. But God has plucked us out of the lawlessness and said, I want you to be mine. I want you to live for me. It is absolutely vital that we all grow in the knowledge of the one who has saved us. That is what will make us a compelling community. As we grow in godliness and walk with him, learning how to reject the ungodliness in the world around us, that will bring us to a more mature relationship with our Savior. And we'll be better equipped to train others. We'll be better equipped to to share that message of salvation with others. The world is just as much a threat to us as it was to the Corinthians, as it was to Timothy's church. The world is a threat to our relationship with Christ because it wants nothing to do with him. As godly men and women who have a relationship with Christ, we should desire to grow, and that will be evidence that we are a compelling community. I pray that we'd never be a church that that thinks it's just enough for people to get saved, to attend church, and maybe do some spiritual things and pray on occasion. That's simply not enough. Because the grace of God came for much more than that. He wants us to know that we are saved by his grace and eternally secure because of his grace. But because of that grace, you and I must desire to grow in him. To wait for his return. To have a zeal to do what is right. And so are you growing? Are you renouncing ungodliness? Would you say your life is characterized by a zeal to do what is right? Are you expectantly waiting and longing for the return of Christ in your life? Because if not, then perhaps you don't truly understand the grace of God in your life. And you need to explore that a little bit more. But my hope is that we will be those kinds of people. And we will be that kind of church. Because that will be a compelling church. Tonight we have the opportunity to hear how the grace of God has impacted men and women for salvation. 
I hope that you will return to, to see a baptism and to hear the testimony of how great grace is making an impact in the world that we live in. How those who were lost in lawlessness were plucked out. And God said, you are mine. That is a wonderful thing to rejoice over. And I hope that you would return with us tonight. Let me close this in prayer and then Chris will come and lead us in a song. Father, you are a God of grace and mercy, and your grace is truly astounding. We don't deserve your salvation. And we don't even deserve for you to lead and guide and direct us through this world. But you have chosen to do that because you are a loving God. I pray that you would give us a desire to grow in your grace, a desire to exalt you and live for you with our lives. Help us to have a longing desire for Jesus and to have a zeal to do what is right so that we will be a compelling community and so that all around us will see that you are an amazing God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.